This is Athenia, giving voice to the people who make Athens, Georgia, the unique, weird, and wonderful place we call home. Well, I was the neighborhood pet sitter. You know, I put out my flyers, I'd gotten the clientele, gotten the recommendations all secured, and so I had a good reputation in the neighborhood. And I used to go pet sit at this one house with three cats, and they were the loveliest cats. They'd always, right as I entered the door to take care of them, they'd come running up and with their little bells around their collars jingling and, and all come and greet me, and they were the nicest things ever. Very non-cat-like in many ways. <laughs> but... One day, I decided to go, you know, feed them, clean out their litter box, and I arrived and didn't hear any bells, and they were nowhere to be found, and of course, my first instinct was, dear God, I've lost the cats, there goes my entire reputation in my business, but I thought, no, let's search the house first, I'm sure they're in here, because they haven't figured out how to open up doors yet. So I go, you know, clapping around, calling their names, looking around the first floor, and I can't seem to find them. And so I think, well, perhaps they're in the basement. Their food is down there. I guess perhaps all three of them are vanished. I don't know. So I go down to the basement. I'm looking for them still, and I can't find them anywhere. And this is when I really start to get worried. You know, I look, you know, in the pool table and their little litter box area everywhere, and they can't be, seem to be found. So I thought, gosh, I need to really go figure this out. And so I turn the corner of the staircase of the basement to the first floor, and at the top of the staircase is a man holding one of the cats, a man I had never seen before. Didn't, I, mean, I had no idea who this was, so some profanities were exchanged. He screamed, I screamed, and he threw the cat down the stairs at me. And, of course, my pet... You know, my pet sitting instincts overtook me, and I went out to reach the cat to help the cat first, and it landed on my face. Of course, this poor thing was so distraught that it's just clawing and, you know, screeching and just, oh, I felt so horrible, but it's attacking my face. So finally, I peel it off my face and, you know, put it on the ground and run upstairs to try and, after this guy, to try and figure out who the hell he is. And I see him exiting the front door and running to the driveway where he gets in his car and leaves. And I'm sitting here going, my God, I got to call the police. You know, there's been an intrusion. And for some reason, he wanted to steal the cats, I guess. I don't know. So I'm sitting here trying to find a phone. And as I'm trying to find a phone, I hear someone coming down from the upstairs. And I'm like, oh, no. I look over, and it's the daughter of the people who own the house. She had been away at college, and I guess perhaps she and this mysterious man had returned without knowing that I would be showing up. And so I go to you know, say, oh, hi, how are you? I'm so sorry for the intrusion, when she looks at me, and she starts screaming. And I'm like, no, it's me. I'm Bryce. I'm the pet sitter. And she's sitting here screaming, runs upstairs, and locks herself in a room. And I'm, I'm just completely dumbfounded about what on earth is going on at this point before I realized that in pro the process of catching the cat, it had scratched my forehead so badly that blood was pouring down across my entire face. So I, I was very silence of the lambs, you know, imagery going on here. And so finally I go upstairs and I convince her that I'm not an axe murderer and that I'm actually just her pet sitter before she comes out and we figure the whole uh, thing through. Interestingly enough, at the very end of it, they ended up paying me and, and a little bonus for that, that whole uh, debacle. But 
addition to that bonus, I found out later that she broke up with him. And one of the reasons was because he left her. He was her boyfriend. And he left her with me in the house, not knowing who I was. So perhaps I helped her dodge a little bit of a bullet. But it was quite a crazy pet-sitting day. I'm Jenny Alpa, and the focus of today's show is animals. The first story you heard was my good friend Bryce Culver recounting a cat-sitting visit gone wrong. In this episode, you'll hear stories about all kinds of animals. Cats, dogs, fish, snails. Our first segment comes from producer Lauren Baggett. Old Yeller, My Dog Skip, Marley and Me, These movies tug at our heartstrings because most of us can identify with the special bond that exists between a person and their pet. But that relationship may be even more important to our health and happiness as we get older. That's the focus of a new project from a team of researchers at UGA. They want to know whether fostering a cat can help an older adult who lives alone lead a healthier, happier life. The team is led by Heidi Ewan at UGA's College of Public Health and Family and Consumer Science and Sherry Sanderson, a veterinarian and professor at the College of Vet Med. They're also partnering with Athens Area Humane Society and UGA's Campus Cats to match foster parent and feline. The project came together, Sherry says, when she got an email from the Humane Society. They were overrun with cats and in desperate need of foster homes. And so that's kind of where the idea got generated and through the efforts of all four of us, it's evolved into the study that we have before us. Absolutely. That's Heidi. With my emphasis on studying housing and where people live, I've discovered that there are quite a few people who live alone. But I was saying, what about their their sense of purpose in life? How do they get out of bed in the morning? How do they get motivated to do things? Uh, We'd worked with the ACCA and we'd heard different stories about their homebound population. And I mentioned to Sherry that this would be the ideal pairing. If we have people who are over the age of 60 who live by themselves, they would have a lot more time at home where they could work with these cats who needed attention and training and love and would be able to give us a really good synopsis to put up on the website when the cat was available for adoption. They'd be able to tell us what the cat's habits are like and what the personality was. And and a lot of the the shelters in the area and rescue groups have become what we call no-kill shelters. So anytime they bring in an animal, they're dedicated to that animal for their life. But they also need foster homes because oftentimes the animals are coming in faster than they can adopt them. And so that's one of the reasons that we chose cats in that there's still a lot less effort in the community to foster cats than there are in dogs. And this helped us with a problem that the shelters had and also a homebound population may not necessarily be able to care for a dog and walk them daily and do all the things that are associated with that. But a cat in their house is something that could provide a lot of companionship and doesn't need to be outside or anything like that. There has been a little bit of research that's been done in nursing homes with cats. They wanted to bring in these animals to help the residents draw them out, to bring some interest into the facility. And they found that bringing in a cat and having it on the floor actually livened up the residents a lot. The staff weren't exactly thrilled at the idea, from what I understand. They thought it was going to be something else they were just going to have to take care of, but discovered the residents jumped in and took care of the cat, the feeding, the litter box, and everything. That was some of the very first evidence that this can make a difference. Participants in the study answer a series of questions that give the team a baseline idea of their emotional well-being, like how happy they are throughout the day or how often they feel lonely. 
At the end of four months, they'll ask these questions again and measure whether their furry friend made a difference. And there's also the hope that the participant will want their new friend to stick around. What we've been doing with this study, it, it is a foster study, so nobody that gets involved with the study is obligated to adopt the cat. So after the first month, there, which we call a bonding period, we offer the option for them to adopt. And if by four months they haven't committed to adopting, then we start looking for another home for this cat. But our goal is that a lot of the people will enjoy the companionship of this cat so much that they will be wanting to adopt this cat. So we've been bringing people to the shelter to pick out their own cats because we think that the possibility of the bond will be stronger if they pick out the cat than if we do. And so far from what I'm seeing and the benefits that these people have with the cats now in their home environment, I'm going to be surprised if we don't get a lot of adoptions. Sherry, Heidi, and their team have only started recruiting participants and collecting data, but they already have a handful of heartwarming stories to share, including one about an Athens woman who was celebrating her 68th birthday the day she picked up her kitten. Usually from the time when Heidi does her initial assessment to when I can bring them uh, to pick out a cat is a couple of days because there's a number of steps in between. But because her next day was the birthday, we fast-forwarded everything. And as I was bringing her to the Athens Area Humane Society to pick out her cat, she was telling me she had already picked out a name for the cat. She was so excited. And it made me feel really good that evening when I left her place and she was cuddling this cat and she wasn't going to have to spend her 68th birthday alone. And obviously, we don't have the results of the study yet, but just from the benefits that I'm seeing already happening, I'm going to be surprised if we don't see some really good benefits from this. For our next story, you'll hear the reason why Emily Maloney never wants you to take her to a sushi restaurant. Uh, my name's Emily, and I'm a senior at UGA, and I like to call myself an anti-pescatarian, meaning that I eat pretty much everything except for fish. Um, I'm actually actively terrified of fish that are alive, and I hate seeing fish, encountering fish, thinking about fish, can't really see myself right now, but I'm cringing um, because thinking about fish freaks me out because I had a very traumatic experience with many fish when I was in middle school. So to set the scene, I was 12 years old, so already not a great time in your life in terms of feeling secure in your body and identity, um, but I was on spring break with my family and we went on a joint trip with my aunt and uncle and some of my cousins. Um, and we were in Aruba uh, for the week. And so to give some backstory about my aunt and uncle is that uh, my aunt is super sweet, one of the nicest people ever. My uncle thinks of himself as kind of a practical joker, but sometimes his jokes can be sort of mean. And he's also a lawyer. Um, and so definitely gets himself out of bad situations pretty easily. So we go on an excursion one day to go snorkeling, which is a pretty normal activity in Aruba, considering it's an island and there's a beach and lots of cool things to look at inside and outside of the ocean. Um, but we go snorkeling, and for the first, like, 20 minutes, it's just a really fun experience. Like, we're just swimming around, looking at fish, breathing through a little tube. It's all really cool and exciting. Um, but my uncle has decided to buy some fish food from one of those, like, vendors around the beach. And you're really not supposed to be 
using this fishery because it totally ruins like the ecosystem and like makes them the, all the fish and other animals that eat this fish food dependent on all the tourists who like come in and do um, like buy the fish food and like to get them to come near them. Um, and so he's just having fun with the fish food for a while, like squirting a little bit out and like getting the fish to come near him and it's all exciting. But I've been completely oblivious this whole time, just swimming along with my cousin Jake and we're just kind of far away, but we swim closer to him and <laughs> my uncle, my uncle Jeff, he decides what would be really funny to do is to squirt the whole tube of fish food all over the water exactly where I am. <laughs> and it felt like an immediate swarm of like hundreds of fish around me. I can still feel them like swarming around me, touching me, nibbling all over me. And it was just, I started crying and it was horrible because I was wearing those little goggles and so it was filling up and I couldn't take them off and I couldn't move or else I was gonna hit fish and I didn't wanna touch them anymore. Um, and I was just, by the time that they started moving away and I could like move again, I was completely hysterical. I like refused to get in the water again that trip and I, from then on, it's just the idea of fish just makes me think about that experience and how horrible it was for them all to be around me and they're so scaly and have weird eyes and just no sense of personal space at all. Um, and like just ever since that day, I have not been able to um, think about fish without feeling like that horrible sense of anxiety and like I still have nightmares occasionally that I'm in a similar situation. Um, so I don't really like frequent aquariums. I don't eat sushi. Um, I did take care of a friend's fish, but I kind of, uh, for her when she was away, but I ended up putting it somewhere in my room so I didn't have to see it and made my sister do all of the duties for it because they just really, really scare me a lot. Coming up is a conversation I had with my mom about the role that animals have played in both of our lives. Testing one, two. Do you want to know what I had for breakfast? Yeah, That's what Krista Tippett always asks. I had vanilla coffee and cheap oatmeal that was not delicious. Have I really never interviewed you before? You have never interviewed me before. Hello, Jenny, daughter of mine, firstborn. <laughs> okay, so today, oh, there's an animal. Speaking of animals. Hello, Lance. Maybe maybe he'll be quiet. Do you remember the first pet that you had? I think the very, very first pet I remember is a cat named Abby. When we lived in a little greenhouse on Carr Street in Donaldsonville, Georgia, there are pictures of me carrying around this black and white cat. The uh, first dog I remember was a dog named Champsy. Do not ask me where that name came from. I don't know. He was also a black and white pet, but he was an absolute uh, mutt, purebred mutt, a little bit of everything in him. Wait, a purebred mutt? Yes, that's my made-up term, purebred mutt. He was a little bit of everything. So did you always have pets growing up ever since you were little? I did. I think most of the time we either had cats or dogs. And now you have how many Boston Terriers? Well, we have two dogs that look like Boston Terriers. Not completely sure about the puppy. Uh, he looks like he might be a bit of a Boston Terrier Chihuahua mix. 
And what were some of those names for, for what they called Boston Terrier Chihuahua mixes? Let's see. Boston Wawa, uh, Bochi, Chibo. Now I want to talk about some of the pets that we've had growing up. How many pets do you think we had in my lifetime? Let's see. I'd have to go back and count. I think the first one we, well, no, let's go back. We started with probably with hamsters. Uh, and then we ended up, your first grade teacher, we ended up with a little dwarf. Were they hamsters or gerbils? I think they were gerbils. Those three gerbils? Yes. The three gerbils from, uh, dwarf gerbils from Julie Peterman. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, so we had those. Uh, the first puppy that you guys had, uh, was also just a, um, mixed breed, adorable little dog named Abby. And then after we had Abby. Wait, isn't there a picture of me with Abby and vanilla wafers in the yard? You were sitting in the backyard under a tree feeding Abby vanilla wafers. That's an adorable picture. Here, see if Boss wants to sit up here with us. Are you going to be quiet, Boss? And then let's see what else. We had a couple of chihuahuas in between. Uh, So you said we had those, those gerbils came from my first grade classroom, right? But we also had Mr. Bill... Who came from a first grade classroom yeah, too, right? I forgot about the rabbit, Mr. Bill, who came from, he started off in Miss Register's kindergarten class, then he moved to Miss Taylor's first grade class, and was Julie's pet the whole year she was in first grade, and then somehow the next year, I volunteered to keep him, I think over a Martin Luther King weekend, and he never went back to school. He stayed with us, and they were quite happy because Mr. Bill was just a mean rabbit. He liked to bite people, um, and he, he, was a, he was a challenging character, and he lived for, oh, my gosh, a at long least time. 10 years. He was 10 or 11 years old. He didn't have very good qualities to be a classroom pet. He did not, but he seemed to be content. We had him in a hutch outside, and he seemed to be content once we put him out there. We also had snails. Oh, yeah, the snails. Yeah, we had snails. I think we started those when Ella Wiley got her snails, and Julie had to have some snails. Ella was our neighbor. And we've had fish. Oh, turtles. Don't forget the turtles. Good gosh, we have a lot of memories Uh related to creatures. Oh, we had a bird. We had the love bird. It was so annoying. It was annoying. We gave that one uh, to a lady at church didn't she also have shouldn't she have a lot of birds to begin with no i don't think she did she just fell in love with this bird i think i've created some memories in my head you have created yours are yours are better than the originals very creative (laughs) how boss is trying to bite my toe hey you want to say something we're trying to do an interview here Yep, there he goes. Oh, now you got to hear both dogs. We didn't talk about the Boston Terrier being named after the cousin. Oh, yeah. What What are your Boston Terrier's names? Lance is the oldest Boston Terrier. Lance is eight years old, and Boss is the baby. And Lance is named after my first cousin, Lance. And we named that because when we were going to get to look at the puppy, to look at Lance... We were talking to Cousin Lance on the phone. 
and we went to the lady's house and this puppy ran up to us and was just so sweet and happy and we said we should name it Lance after our cousin so that's how Lance got his name and then Boss kind of a dual reason for his name the people who had him had been calling him Boss for Boston and we went through a whole bunch of names we pondered calling him Sinclair because he was eats like your grandfather used to everything and really quickly <laughs> Yeah, we thought about his name for like a week. We kept going yeah, back and did. forth. We couldn't come up with a good name. Um, but finally, we went back to Boss because Boss was also the name of my cousin Lance's granddad. Uh, I can't think of anything else at the moment. I can't think of anything else either. I, I think that's the, that's the uh, extent of our pet stories. So what do you think that number would be of all the pets that we had growing up? <laughs> we'd have to sit down and we'd have to write that down and count. Do you have an estimation? No, I don't. At least <laughs> at least 25. Oh, I don't know. I think, well, I don't know. If you count all the hamsters and gerbils. And all the snails. And the baby all snails. the snails and the fish and the turtles. Yeah, it, it's, let's just say we, we've, we've had a lot of pets. A lot of good memories. Lots of good memories. Did we say who I was? Am I supposed to say who I am or you just, did you say? Oh yeah, yeah, we should have done that at the beginning, but <laughs> but we'll do that now. You can introduce yourself. Tell us your name, who you are, what you do. I am Jenny's mom, Rebecca Schultz, and right now I live in Florida and take care of these Boston Terriers, and I'm grateful to be in a place where I get a little time to figure out what I want to do next in life. We'll end this episode with some poems by Alex Johns. He is the managing director of Word of Mouth, which is a monthly reading series that brings together nationally known and local writers. It meets the first Wednesday of each month at the Globe in downtown Athens. Alex's forthcoming collection is called Darwin's Book of Saints and will be coming out later this year. The brain is not the mind. Anyone with an aquarium and half a brain can see that any study on the duration of fish memory is bullshit. 10 seconds my ass. They rush to the glass whenever they see my face. They recognize their God and know the source of their food. And they love when my eyes form from silently present, unaccessed hope to gray blur, to ghostly shape, to clearly the remembered one who sent the manna last time, snowing down in elegant slow motion, just enough to satiate but never pollute the tank. Thanks displayed solely in the golden dance of dining with the joy of multiplied loaves. When they pass before the light, I can see right through to the soft, dark shadow of their hearts. Beluga whale enters afterlife. The light in the aquarium never quite was like that from her Arctic childhood. Frolicking ghost in dark ocean beneath Santa's elusive home. Humans each the size of a newborn calf with such similar eyes so much alike she'd been confused as a child and swam right up one long summer to the black-clad ones, and that's the last she remembered before she woke in the room with one window. 
and dark walls, the other wail there with her sharing fading memories through chirps and clicks of the before life. Month-long nights lit only by bioluminescent fish, more faces come at Christmas. She wouldn't have put it this way, but we have no way to say what it meant to her. The instinct to forgive, the few who felt the compassion, the understanding, stood confused, lifted their hands to the plexiglass, felt and spoke their shame. She drank in as evidence of the life beyond, like leaves of light, observations of the most Buddha-like of mammals, almost a blubber ghost, starting to bloat, to float, waking, walking along a wall of moonlight, not a moonlit wall, mind you. Heaven is wet feet with a dry house in sight. A ghost is a full moon behind a third night of thick cloud cover, mist clouding lenses. The iceberg that sank the Titanic was at the last minute lit up like an old Christmas tree. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Athenia. Thanks to Nick Mellis for our theme music. Our team includes Jenny Alpaugh, Lauren Baggett, Nina Guzman, Robin McIntyre, Paul Oshinsky, Cindy Shadricks, Jake Troyer, and Alex Vandenhuvel. This has been Athenia. Thanks for listening. <laughs>